everyone to a very belated episode, potentially one of the last ones we'll do in 2022 for the Big Footy Bombercast. It's been a while since we talked to you halfway through trade week and a lot has happened for us to unpack and to help me do so, I've got my regular co-host Bonser34. How are you going, Bonser? I'm good, Grizz. I actually believe last time we spoke, we bemoaned the fact that we weren't really getting involved in trade week. And then about <laughs> 30 seconds after we stopped recording, the uh, the Sam Weedman deal suddenly grew legs. Yeah, I, I, I realized at that point we really should just be uh, time stamping our podcast so people don't think we're just completely oblivious. You've given me quite a good segue there and we will jump straight into it. We'll probably break this podcast into two parts. There'll be the footy stuff that's happened, the list recruitment, draft and trade period. And then we'll probably look a bit more to next year, some off-field appointments and the fixture which dropped basically midday today being the 10th of December 2022. But we'll, we will touch on the trade period and the uh, list management decisions made. We, we had a, a pretty active last three days of trade period with Will Setterfield and Sam Wiedemann coming out the door. Um, we got na- knocked back on the Jack Bowes deal, couldn't get pick seven in the door, but um, we did get that big body midfielder through Will Setterfield and Sam Wiedemann in the door as a reserve key forward. How, how do you feel about those sort of acquisitions? Um, they are pretty cheap. Well, I mean, Setterfield, look, I think... We might have touched on him last time, and I'm not. Sure. I think back then I might have said that. I feel like it, he's been a he's a pick that um, Adrian Doro has just wanted to have for a very long time, and mm. has finally got his man a little bit. Um, he, I mean, he, he'll feel, he'll fill a need. He's a big body mid. He won't be, you know, the Patrick Cripps, Clayton Oliver, thirty plus touches bursting through the middle. But but not all big midfielders have to be that mould. We just need a big body in there to be able to pr- provide some shelter, basically for for Parish and, and Merritt and whichever other small bloke we throw into the middle. You know, Hobbs is another one that obviously go through there now. Perkins is, you know, the, the other one that goes through there. So so we sort of just need need a, a body in there. And I suppose Setterfield, you know, he, he gives us a body in there. I don't know how to feel about Will Setterfield. Like, it, it was obviously really highly regarded in his draft year. I think was, he went pick five. We were contemplating pick one. I think this was like our third crack at him. I think we tried to get him when he was coming out of GWS. We did, yes. Um, so I think this might be our third crack. It's a classic sort of distressed asset pickup, isn't it? What the role he was playing was this outside wing half back at Carlton, which clearly wasn't his gig. They had quite a full engine room over there at the Blues. I sort of throw my hands up and go, what's the worst that can happen? <laughs> we, we clearly needed sides in the midfield. Um, and like you said, he, he probably doesn't need to come in and be the breadwinner in terms of possessions, but you know, carving out space. He's done some tagging jobs for Carlton in the past as well. So we know we can you know, commit defensively, which is something our midfield needs as well. I'd, you know, for the cost that it, we needed a big body, I think we were after Jack Bytel and Jack Bowes. We got one big body in. We'll see how he goes. And if it doesn't work out, you know, it's a low cost acquisition. There's probably not a lot of salary, so I'm not worried. The, the, the one that sort of jumped out of nowhere was Sam Wiedemann. It just sort of went from nothing to he was touring the facilities to he's a bomber in like 48 hours and, and i think it was a it was a bizarre sort of scenario because we had just sort of delisted cody brand josh air obviously followed out the door quickly after we re-signed james stewart and aaron francis obviously to sydney the sam wiedemann one was sort of out of nowhere uh, 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 what role do you see do you see him as the best 22 player next year or do you think this is just, again, like a Peter Wright style, pick up on the cheap and see what the hell you get. 
I don't think he's his best 22, but I, I think I can see why they would have gone out and got him. Because if you do look at our our forward line, you know, you mentioned obviously Peter Wright, who's who's our star star forward now. Um, you've even got Harrison Jones, who's had his fair share of injuries. And then you've also got Kane Baldwin. But after that, you know, I mean, James Stewart can go forward, but James Stewart's also 29 years old and, and will be pushing towards 30 by the end of next year. Um, he won't be 30 until 2024, but obviously he's, he's 30 in early 2024. So, you know, he's not going to be... Unless you think we're going to win the flag in the next two years, he's not going to be there. So you can sort of understand why they want some depth because if Jones goes down, Baldwin goes down or doesn't come on like we expect, we still need a, a plug-and-play player, and I think that's just going to be Wiedemann, to be honest. Yeah, I wonder if there was a bit of list rebalancing. We had so, we had like – there was one point where we had like five key defenders running around the VFL, and that's probably partly due to Truck not wanting to play any key defenders in the seniors. And so we dropped – Aaron Brand, I think McBride went through the draft to be picked up as a Cat B rookie. And we just need some more forward depth, particularly Darren Francis, who was playing forward late in the year, leaving for Sydney. I heard some interesting comments by Scott about wanting to leave right forward more. So maybe that means if Wiedemann does play, it's as that second key forward reserve ruck because they haven't increased the interchange the five. They've left it at four with a medi sub, with a, sorry, a tactical sub, which is talk about bewildering decisions but um i wonder if that's that's his real niche role is that that second key forward with a ruck sort of counterpart i'm i have my real doubts about harry jones at the moment i don't think he's shown you know in his three years of football that he can be on the park for more than 12 or 13 games a year and at some point he's going to have to do that and if he doesn't i suppose wiedemann's the insurance. We will touch briefly on uh, one of your favourites, Vale, the career of Aaron Francis at Essendon. <laughs> he did the part um, basically to Sydney for the cost of what it took to get Wiedemann in. It looked like it was a one-for-one swap. Just want to acknowledge Aaron Francis, who had a really tough run at Essendon, a lot of personal stuff off the field, which probably derailed him early in his career. It just never sort of worked out. And hopefully all the best for him in Sydney. Yeah, and obviously the problem, which I've said repeatedly with Francis, is that we just never played him in one spot. And you yeah, you take a bloke who, who clearly just needs confidence and you throw him from end to end and it doesn't work out. And then you, you throw your hands up in the air and go, what's going on? And I mean, I, I think he'll be good for Sydney. I, yeah. I think they'll get the best out of him because they'll, I think they'll, they'll put him down alongside Paddy and Tom McCartan. And, and I think they'll turn him into, a, into the new Ted Richards and we'll go from there. Because I mean, really, if you look, yeah, you know, 2019 was was Francis's best year by far, and it just so happened to be the year that we put him down the back and just let him play that half back line. And I think he had, you know, he had 14 or 15 touches a game, which which isn't bad for a bloke of his size. So, yeah, you know, I, I think it's just I think it'll come back and bite us in the ass, but it is what it is. Yeah, I think there was just there was a redundancy in his spot. There were too many guys like him forward, and and we we clearly prioritise other people in defence over him. Guys like Reed and Cox and. Jaden Laverde, I think, probably took his spot in defence. I think um, Jordan Ridley's rise as quickly as he did probably crashed him over with his position. He'll slot straight into that sort of Dane Rampey role in Sydney. I, I have no doubt that he's exactly what they love in their key defenders. He's an intercept guy. You know, he's explosive power. He's a good kick out of the defence. So I think, yeah, I think um, he's going to look really good in a Sydney jumper and we'll all be banging our heads against the wall. But um, he's just one of a few departures. We, we probably don't need to go over them too much. Yeah, Tom Cutler, um, who was you know, not bad depth for, I think he was my fourth round pick trade. Braden Ham, 
McDonough, old man McDonough, um, one year on the list, so clearly not a long-term plan to Aaron Brand, as we discussed, and Dev Smith retiring. So any of those that stick out to your bumps? Probably the only one that sticks out to me is, and I won't even talk about old man McDonough because that's just a, it was a terrible pick at the time and it's been a terrible pick now, but anyway, um, is, is Cutler's to me is, is sort of, I reckon if if it had been if it had been five years earlier, I reckon he'd still be on the list. And I reckon he'd still be getting games. So because he's the kind of player that he's he's, he's a safe player. You know what yep. you're going to get from him. And I think that's the kind of player that Essendon has liked in the past. They've liked safe players that you know that what you're going to get from him. And so I think it's probably a, a good sign that we've decided enough enough is enough with with someone like him. Same with same with Ham. I think as well. You know what you're going to get from him. Yeah, but. We've decided that safe isn't good enough, and all right, you know, it's 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 it can only be a good thing. It, you know, it might go balls up, but at least you're having a crack. Yeah, I think list. I think particularly with um, we were really tight on list spots this year. I, I think Aaron Brand are a bit stiff, but like I said, I think there was a bit of an, a list balancing that needed to happen with the amount of key defenders we had and the lack of sort of other depth we had in other areas particularly so the, the smaller wing half forward sort of spot so and particularly depth in our midfield as well it should be noted so i think there i think we gave air an opportunity to train on and he declined it to go to st kilda which good for him he probably sees an easier spot into the best 22 there dev smith just quickly 2018 Crichton medalist um that knee just was never right really after he injured in 2019 i think it was anzac day he injured it the following year and he was just never the same after that but I think his last 18 months, Essendon fans were coming for him hard and his performance has probably deserved it. But I think it's worth acknowledging for 18 months there, he was looking like arguably one of the best pickups of the you know the last 20 years for Essendon. And look, he still did his role. And I think the problem was they, you know, we got a little bit, people got a little bit impatient. They just didn't, they just refused to, to accept that his knee wasn't what it was. And mm. um yeah, because you know, twenty eight. His last game in twenty nineteen against Sydney, you know, thirteen disposals and ten tackles. Like that's just huge numbers. And then, yeah. unfortunately, just never really hit those heights again. I mean, he, he had. A, I think it was a good game against Port Adelaide late in 2020. 2021, he, I mean, I still didn't think he was overly horrible in twenty twenty one. But he, no, he copped a, he copped a lot of hate in twenty twenty one. And you know, for a, for a small forward or bloke who really wasn't a small forward, because I know he played a lot of forward line pressure, but he he was more of a half forward link up player. Like he wasn't, he never, he was never a big goal kicker for a small forward, which might sound a little bit weird, but it is what it is. So again, you know, I, I thought he was all right in twenty, and then yeah, you know, this year he just unfortunately the knee just and father time caught up with him. But you know, he he did his best, and I prefer to look look back at the the fonder memories and unfortunately um a lot of Essendon fans just we, we do have a very strong history of turning on our own very quickly yeah i think that degenerate it was a degenerative knee i think he was talking about it being bone on bone by the end of his career um he just didn't have the explosion to do what he did back in 2018 which was the pressure number one per- pressure and tackle player in the competition 2018 and once that went out of his game because of the injury i think he he, he didn't have the spread and the run to be a weapon either side of the ball um, in defence or attacking. But, you know, he's still a Crichton medalist and we don't give those out willy-nilly. So congratulations to Dev Smith and enjoy retirement. Speaking of retirement, there is one man that we ought to talk about. He, he's come back from career death. He obviously didn't die in reality. But Anthony McDonald, Tipping Woody, is back. He signed a, a one-year contract with the club 
the day before the list management deadline on 10 November, before the draft. He's back for next year. Uh, the good vibes are here and he looks happy, which is the really important thing from the um, photos at training. It, it does. And just, I'll just ask you a question. It's something that just made me a little bit amused is I have read a few um, opposition fans complaining about the fact that we used his retirement to, to obviously draft in the mid-season draft and mm. now he's back. They seem to think it's sort of circumvent. I look at that and go, is it any different to a long-term injury? Like the, the, the guy walked away from the game. He was... Unable to be selected, he was unavailable. Yeah, is it is, is it is it as cheeky as some opposition fans are trying to point out? I don't think so. I like. Um, I mean, I, 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 it, I see. It, that, I, I it, could see their point, but but I, is I, it at the same is, time? Yeah, is it any more dodgy than um, how clubs routinely delist guys with the promise of rerooking them so they get an extra spot in the national draft? Like it's the same principle, isn't it? How many we saw Hugh Greenwood last year get delisted by the Gold Coast so they could open up some extra list spots for the draft and he got snatched up. Is it not the same principle? Like, I think it's just people want to be salty. But I'm more worried. I'm more concerned about, you know, having Anthony McDonald. I think we miss him terribly. We had no small forward pressure and depth, really, outside of Matt Guelphie, who was doing his best but learning on the fly. We we didn't replace his 35 goals and, you know, um, intimidating forward pressure last year. That that was a huge hole in our forward line. And he might be a slow burn to get back to his best, but just having him around the group, particularly with a bunch of young Indigenous guys around the club, we'll get to Anthony Anthony Makara and the Davy Twins soon. Um, it's just great to have him back. And I think just it's putting smiles on faces, which we haven't had really all this year. Yeah, and I'm not sure how much of a slow burn it's going to be to getting back to his best. I mean, I suppose... Again, similar to Dev Smith, father time catches up with us all. But he doesn't look he doesn't look that unfit to me. I mean, and I'm only you know a pleb sitting on the couch <laughs> looking at pictures, so I, I have no idea. You know, I don't have the skinfold tests and all that rubbish that they play with these days. But to me, he doesn't look like somebody that's going to. I'd be surprised if he's not available early in the season. I, I just I just look at the, his body shape and his body tires, and I go. He's probably never been the skinniest bloke going around. He's always been, you know, a, a bit bit of a tank. Yeah. So I mean, I, I know that there's not. I mean, there was an opposition fan fan on our board, and, and look, he he does seem to have some sort of knowledge, and he's been okay. That I can't remember his name, but you now when he was talking, oh, I won't be back before round eleven. I mean, oh, I don't think that's the case. Yeah. I mean, it, it, this is a, this is AFL. These blokes are tra- he's training now preseason. AFL round ones what. 15 weeks, 16 weeks away or whatever it is. Yeah. You know, like, I mean, average average Joe plebs like you and me can can turn around and train for a half marathon in 12 weeks. Like, and we don't have all the bloody bells and whistles that they've got sitting at their door. So, you know, I, I'd, I'd be amazed if he's not in the side very oh. early in the piece, barring, you know, assuming that everything, assuming everything goes well, assuming there's no yeah. injury setbacks or... Or um, to to borrow a line from Sean Michaels, and I don't know if you know that who that is, Grizz, but um, you know he might lose his smile again. Other than that, I, I can't see why yeah, you'd, you'd expect him to be not playing AFL it, football very early. I just think it's a waste of time in VFL. Yeah. Okay. So to be clear, when I say be back and firing, I don't mean in the team. I mean. Back to 100% in form flying Anthony McDonald to Woody. I think you play him into form early in the season, but he hasn't played at AFL level. He wouldn't have played, kicked the ball in anger at AFL level for 
what, 19 months, 18 months by the time round one rolls over next year. So there will be an element of training can only get you so fit and can only get you so in touch and firing and adapted to the speed of the AFL game. That's more what I mean. Like it would, it would take a few, I think it's going to take a month or two for him to get to absolutely 110% fit and firing. And then McDonald tipping Woody. I think he'll play before then. I would expect to see him probably about a month into the season, at least anything longer than that, then I'm going to start getting suspicious. But I just meant in terms of like his form output as opposed to you know, whether or not he's going to play. Yeah. 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 Uh, we will just note Josh Hare and Cody Brand, a lot of discussion on the board about how they were unlucky uh, to get delisted. What's your thoughts on that? I think, you know, two years in the system, you know, their first year was sort of ruined sort of by COVID a little bit. We were on the road for half of it with no VFL for them to develop. They both showed signs this year, but it seemed just to be a, a list spot casualty more than anything. Yeah, well, I thought Cody Brown was going to get games this year, so I was a little bit surprised he got the listed. But, I mean, the, the reality is we do have too many players down that slot. And, and Stuart, despite the fact that I sort of said before, unless you think he's going to be win the flag next couple of years, he's still going to be good depth in the next couple of years. So, you, yeah. you can't you can't really afford to take all, all these young blokes in, especially if we end up trying to play Cox down there as well, which I think would be silly. I think we'd be better off playing him at centre forward. But, you know, it is what it is. So, yeah... I mean, COVID, COVID was always hard for these guys. Um, you know, Josh, Josh is off at St Kilda now. He's training with St Kilda for a list spot. I reckon, by all reports, he'll probably end up getting getting a list spot at St Kilda, which will be interesting. To be honest, I don't really know what their key position defender stocks are like. I, I, there's a spot in their forward line if he wants it. Yeah. Um, because uh, big uh, Max Kings down. Max, which, yeah. Wow. So that sort of that's a, kills St Kilda because oh, that, um, that's going to really affect. St Kilda next year, like that's oh, this isn't a St Kilda podcast, but wowzers, that's a huge loss for them. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I mean, I mean, they have, they still have memory down there, but uh, I mean, name a forward, a competent St Kilda forward outside of Tim Memory, and and good and, and good luck to you. Yeah. So, yeah, I don't, I don't know how that's all going to unfold for them. So, I mean, I think he's every chance. I think Max King going down is as as brutal as it is is, is probably increased his chances yeah um so yeah look i, I think brand's probably the stiff I, I think he'll go away play hopefully he'll go away and play vfl or sandful or, or one of the, the state league comps and, and not go back to you know amateur thirds or whatever it is that some afl players tend to do after they've been dropped because i think he, i think he's got the talent so i think if he went back and played his craft at a state league i think He'd still be on the on the club's radars, but I don't I don't know if what, what his plans are. So yeah. um, he's probably stiff. And yeah, as I said, I think Josh is going to have St Kilda. So he's stiff to not be on the list, but still obviously good enough to play AFL. We'll we'll move to the draft now because I think this sort of flows in the same breath. We we'll, we'll get to sort of Sartus at pick five in a minute, but we drafted Lewis Hayes at pick twenty five, who was a two hundred centimeter key defender, <laughs> which had everyone had a lot of the board trying to figure out. So we delist Aaron Brand, keep Stewart, bring in Wiedemann, but then draft another skinny two hundred centimeter defender, which tells me either we didn't have much faith in Brandon Air. Or we really liked this Lewis Hayes kid who was touted as a first round pick and we thought he's just too good to pass up. Yeah, we don't know much about these boys 
other than you know what's been discussed about Sartis. But what was your takeaway from the draft that occurred? I think it was two and a half, probably two weeks ago. Now on the dot. Yeah. So Lewis Hayes is is the the brother of Port Adelaide ruck Sam Hayes. Yeah, I think um, so. Who, from what I've seen of him, moves incredibly well for a bloke his his size. Yeah. So if if Lewis can move similar to him, then then we're pro- you know we're even better than him, which you'd, you'd sort of hope because he's not a ruckman. Um, we've probably got a a pretty good one there. I think you know from from all reports, he's he's been a, a pretty solid um, intercepting marking defender, and he's he's capable of, of sort of playing the tall or short, and he's pretty composed in um with the ball in his hand. It's it's really he's just can, um, needs to improve his contested work and his strength, which are two big parts for a key defender. But, you know, you can always put bulk on a bloke and see how he goes. I mean, yeah, having said that, our, our greatest defender of the last you know, probably 50, 50 years, probably nearly one of our greatest, nearly yeah, all yeah. time, you'd argue, in, in Dustin Fletcher, never really put bulk on. And he was able to, to wrestle with the, the big boys. He just used his, his arms and legs. So if Lewis is able to do something similar, then it'd be a great pickup. Um, and it, it really just sounded like... He managed to just be impossible to ignore at that pick. I mean, sure. he, you know, he had he had three games this year in the NAB League where he had over twenty six touches. So, for a key <laughs> defender, that's pretty that's pretty bloody good, isn't it? Really, yeah, you know? yeah. And I, I think that's it. I think it was. Yeah, I, I'm not gonna lie. When I heard when I realised we drafted, you know, two hundred centimeter redheaded key defender from the Western Suburbs of Melbourne, I was just sort of like, oh, sign me up. Um, <laughs> but, um, it gave him a bit of deja vu, but um, all he needs to do is wear some long sleeves and I'm sold. But um, yeah, you're right. Dustin Fletcher needed to put on five kilos basically his entire career. <laughs> but yeah. And another thing with Hayes is he's a good rebounder. So he, he averages five rebounds a game yeah. in, in, in the... In the under 18s, which for a key position defender, I mean, it might sound silly, but I reckon that's pretty handy because normally the key position defender, you, you're sort of bringing the ball to ground and then letting the, the smaller blokes do the work at ground level. Whereas if he's able yeah. to do that himself, well, you take it and run. Oh, he won't He won't play next year. Um, no. he'll, he'll be a two or three year prospect. And, and we've got, as you know, you sort of alluded to, we've got plenty of depth down back. So, but as, as, as somebody has said on the board, there's nothing wrong with having another potential gun because the reality is not every player makes it yeah so we could we could point at that and go look we've got you know, four or five blokes under the age of 25 and oh they're all looking really good but the reality is that out of that four or five at least two of those aren't going to make it yeah so there's no there's nothing wrong with having an additional player in in a pretty crucial spot in the ground yeah i think that's right and look um I think this probably goes into feeds more into what we're going to move on to now with with what we did with pick five. But I'm also I've always been a proponent. Michael Lombardi, who is a well known general manager and respected sort of list builder of American sports, who actually came to Essendon, funnily enough, like five years ago. But we buried the report, which you know, don't get me started. But he always says you draft for talent and you recruit via trade and free agency for needs. And I feel like that's what we've done here. We've gone, look, Lewis Hayes was just the most talented guy on the board. Who knows in four-year time when he's ready to be a best 22 player what our list is going to look like. We've just got to take him. But um, we'll move to pick five now because that seemed to be the sticking point of the draft for many. I think everyone was talking about how the first four picks, including Will Ashcroft, was sort of set in stone. It was Essendon that was going to set the draft going in whatever direction it was going to go to. The choice seemed to come down to two guys. It was Elijah Sartis, who was EDPS, who's a well-known draft expert on our board. It was He's loved Elijah Sartis for the best part of four years. Um, he's 
guys routinely considered one of the best two or three prospects in a draft that um, sort of slid because of an injury and other guys going past him whilst he was injured. Or this guy called Matthias Philippou, who had a really good year for Sandville, uh, in the Sandville and for SA in, in the under-18 champs. And you know, a large proportion of the board seemed to think he would be the big-bodied mid that we desperately needed. We ended up going Elijah Sartas. Talk me through your thought, pers- your thought process Sorry, with this selection what you wanted to happen, what, how you feel about the pick being Elijah Sartis. Yeah, so, I mean, Philippou, um is obviously was considered the, 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 the big body that I think, you know, a lot of us are desperate for us to have. The big knock on him, I, from what I understand, is he's kicking. Yep. Um, and I think we have enough poor midfield kickers, to be honest. Other than Zach Merritt, our midfield, I don't think has, is great by foot. You know, I know, I know Elijah Sardis is, is – there's also talk that he's not great with his foot skills, but he sounds like he's better than Philippou. So on that metric, purely that metric alone, I'd be looking at Sardis because, you know, he's not as big as, as Philippou. I mean, Philippou's got about four or five centimetres and a couple of kilos on him. But again, you know, they're only 20, 18 years old. So he's not – so Sardis hasn't finished – Growing, so I mean, Philippou's still probably always going to have those couple of centimeters on him. Doesn't mean Sardis just because Philippou's bigger doesn't mean Sardis is small. So I still think Sardis will be able to go in the middle. He seems like he's a lot more consistent than Philippou as well, from what I understand. I think um, Philippou has sort of been a little bit of a, a late charge. It, it would probably might be a, a, a fair a fair assumption. Um, I think so. Yeah, I think with Philippou and Sardis, it, it was the tale of. Whilst everyone wanted Philippi to be the big-bodied midfielder, you know, a lot of the draft experts on sort of big footy were saying he's not really a big-bodied mid in the sense of a, a Bont or an Ollie Wind or a Nat Fife. He was, you know, a marking high half forward that could rotate through the midfield. And as talented as he might be, we already have too many guys that fit that description. I think Jake Stringer could fit that description. Kyle Langford absolutely fits that description. You know, Nick Martin, Archie Perkins could fill that role as well. Whereas Elijah Sardis was a pure mid. He was the guy that accumulates a huge amount of ball um, all throughout his junior mid football. He's a guy that is only a month older than Philippou. So what you were saying about the development, you know, everyone was saying, oh, Philippou, youngest guy in the draft class. Elijah Sardis was... I think like six weeks older than him. So there's still a lot of development in Sarsis left. And you look at that, you know, the size of his hands, his shoulders and his hips, he's going to feel out to be an explosive beast. And when I know he probably doesn't, at the moment, he's probably not the the answer to what our midfield deficits are. But we, we can't keep looking so short-sighted. And I think our premiership window at earliest is 2024. 2026, you know, who knows what our midfield's going to look. There is a realistic world, Bonds, where in 12 months' time, Darcy Parrish is a restricted free agent and Darcy and Dylan Shield has got one year left on his deal and is north of 30. They could both be gone off our list, in which case Sata sorts straight in. And so, you know, what does our midfield look in 2026 when – you know, Sartis has 80 games under his belt and has filled out more. That's more what I'm worried about. And I just think he was the better bet as a midfielder than Philippou was. Yeah, well, and I mean, Draft Central has, they said that Sardis 
is the best player spreading from a stoppage. That you know, no 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 player in the draft spreads better than than Sardis. And he gets the ball, he uses his pace, and he, he's nearly impossible to stop when he when he pounces on the ball. So, I mean, he, he might not be that big bullocking uh, player like Philippou is that that just runs over blokes. But it sounds like he's he's not that far behind him. So yeah, it's you, you just take it. And um, I mean, he he averaged 30, 33 touches. It was just beyond Ashcroft. Um, who obviously went pick two and I think should have gone pick one. But anyway, that's just GWS just decided to not bid. Um, so, <laughs> yeah. And then, got, and then got absolutely stuffed over by Sydney in what yeah, was so, one of the so great just, draft moves. Yeah, so just uh, just silly. I mean, Sardis, a big concern. It's been raised by um, a prominent poster multiple times, and to be honest, I still got sick of reading it because I was just over it. But is, is his defensive pressure? But you know, it's not like he doesn't defend at all. He does defend. He just hasn't. Is it? I mean, the, the reality is, at, at under eighteen level, when you're an attacking midfielder who is getting the ball thirty four times a game, you're not defending that much because you're you're the one that's that's driving the the possession. You know, you're you're. Yeah. I mean, under eighteen football. Is good football, but it's very different to the AFL level in that the, the top blokes, I think, who go out and get the bulk touches just don't tackle as much because they're getting their hands on the ball. So we'll see. But I, I, uh, I, I'm not at all worried about his defensive pressure. I think I think Brad Scott's a very good defensive coach. Um, I, I mean, I know people say that about Truck, but Brad Scott actually has the runs on the board at senior level has been able to do it. So... You know, we'll, we'll wait and see, but I I wouldn't be too stressed about uh, about Sardis's defensive defensive efforts if I'm you know if I'm being perfectly honest. Yeah, it's just it's one of those things that you know we'll wait and see what happens, and, and hopefully um hopefully he comes good. Yeah, I think there's a lot of talk about oh we need to be unless like unless you're drafting Joel Selwood or you're drafting Brett Kirk reincarnate one 18 year old isn't going to come in and fix your defensive issues through your midfield that yeah. has to be changed through your senior players and so like i said we could be drafting brett kirk reincarnate or cameron ling reincarnate it wouldn't matter if merit shield parish caldwell don't buy in as okay we've got to defend and if they do that then no matter who we draft, we'll buy into that as well. So that was more my issue. I, I, I like if all things were even and that was the difference, sure. But that wasn't the case, and so you know, it, drafting is all prognosticating. It's all guessing what they could be. I think Sartus and Philippu probably had similar ceilings, but Sardis for me was a much surer bet to fit it. Whereas I'm not sure what Philippu will be at AFL level. I can see what Sartus will be at AFL level. Uh, we'll probably move on to the rest of the draft now. We've already sort of ch- chatted about Lewis Hayes and um, sort of how he fits in with the conglomerate of tools we te- seem to have or did have at the back end. And we'll talk with a couple of lads who have been foretold seemingly for, I reckon, a decade <laughs> by this point, Bont. With pick 45, I think with pick 54, nine picks apart, um, we acquired Alan Davy Jr. and Jaden Davy, both from the Oakley Chargers, obviously from Northern Territory, but we know them obviously as the son of Alan sons, sorry, of Alan Froggy Davy. Alan's bid came a bit later than you would have thought. 
Uh, a lot of people were thinking top 25 for him. He slid all the way out to 45, which was great for us. It's finally happened. 10 years in the making, Bonds. It, it has finally happened. All right. He did slide a little bit, but I also think that probably just comes down to the fact that clubs knew, you know, it didn't matter where they mm. took him. Once once, once we got, got to use our, our second pick, what was the point in bidding on him, really? Like, <laughs> what, what were they going to do? Because um, then obviously we used the, the later pick on Jaden, so they sort of knew what we were aiming for in this draft. So while, while it was a little bit later, I think it just came down to the fact that the clubs just looked at it and went, well, they're going to take... They're going to take uh, the two picks early, then they're going to take the Davy boys, and then obviously they're going to take um, Young Mankara later on. So it's very exciting. He, they have been foretold as the saviors of Essendon since they were six <laughs> years old, it feels like. So I hope the pressure doesn't get to him too much. I, I don't know how much we'll see of him next year. I mean, I think Jaden's still recovering from his ACL, which he did do pretty early in the year, so he might be back playing football come round one. Um, but I, I would say if we're going to see either of them, it would be Alwyn junior that i think we would see first but i'm very excited and, and, and very keen to see see how they how they run and it's going to be it's interesting you got a you got a twin coaching twins so that'll be that'll be a little bit of fun <laughs> yeah i i think it's i think with Jaden, i think he's mostly recovered i think Dodoro sort of said let slip in an interview that he's actually further ahead than they thought he would be in his recovery at this point and there's a sticking point there in that um i think they want to chuck him on the lti or the long-term injury list to open up a, a supplemental selection period spot or a, a pre-season rookie spot um, so if, if we do put him on that rookie list or that long-term injury list, he, he won't be playing at least till basically the mid-season draft. But I think it's firstly great to get father-sons on board. It's great for the nostalgia. I think it's great that we've now got our future full forward and centre-half forward locked away. As we all know, Froggy Davey was one of the great Essendon centre-half forwards, <laughs> or at least that's how he played him. Uh, but I, I agree with you. I doubt we see too much of them next year. I think you know, they're both they're probably both slider builds, and they might get a game here or there. But I doubt we'll see much of them. I think I think it's interesting that Allen probably. I don't know if there's a redundancy with his position, but it seems like he would play a very similar position to, although in a very different way to maybe a Nick Martin, as sort of that wing half forward as opposed to a genuine small forward like Jaden. But uh, they're obviously both really talented boys. And yeah, the, the stories of Alan Davey dropping them off into Dodoro's office during training for Dodoro the babysitting, I don't know how real it is, but yeah, it's a nice sentiment nonetheless. Yeah, so Alwyn does play a lot like Aaron Davy, so his uncle from Melbourne. Yeah, who right. obviously did did get up the ground a little bit more um, than 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 Alwyn Senior, who was the this permanent stay at home forward, um, which is obviously what Jaden Jaden sort of does. Um, and, and Alwyn's, I think Alwyn's slightly taller, but but not by much, obviously. So it, it'll be it'll be interesting because yeah, I mean the pick we got him at does not really fit where Alwyn was going to go. And, and same with Jaden, because before he did his ACL, there was there was talk that he could be even better than his brother. So I think we've got at least two very good prospects there. Whether or not they come on, we'll wait and see. But, you know, it is always nice to get father-sons into the club. And it's always nice to get exciting father-sons into the club. And, and I don't think we've had an exciting father-son like this since since we t- took Danaher. And you know, regardless of what you think, he, he did give us a, a fair old ride while he was with us. So, yeah, hopefully we're, we're looking to, to get the similar sort of ride with these two boys, but hopefully with a, a better ending than we had with Joe. 
Yes, yeah. Uh, it's still it's still weird to see Joe in a Brisbane jumper for mine, but uh, this is the Essendon podcast, not the Brisbane podcast. Um, the other thing about the Davey boys, obviously Indigenous lads have, I think, had issues retaining or, or, or recruiting Indigenous guys in the past sort of five years or so, really, outside of Anthony McDonald and Tipping Woody. But another Indigenous guy we picked up was um, another guy that's been foretold basically for the last 12 months. He, he appeared on the radar of Essendon fans because I think ADPS posted uh, some highlights of him kicking seven goals for his private school in Adelaide last year as a 17-year-old. We're going to pick him up. He went undrafted through the national draft. And for those listening who don't know how that works, because he's in our academy, we basically pick him up as a Category B rookie, um, which means he sort of doesn't count as a list spot or against the salary cap completely. Uh, certainly not um, the entirety of his salary. So um, we'll have access to him. He won't be able to play unless there's a long-term injury, but seems to be as raw as raw gets, but an exciting talent nonetheless. So is it so is it because he's Category B, he can't play unless there's a long-term injury? that. Because the rookie list obviously doesn't have that. The category A doesn't have that anymore. Yeah, I thought we had this discussion last time with Tom Hurd, and um, I I distinctly remember that he was actually that category B's now no longer require. I feel uh-huh. like we could have played Tom Hurd who was category B's. I don't, I think I don't think that long term injury list rule exists anymore for any kind of rookie. I think you can just put them on if you want. I think there's a certain part of the year where you can just play them. I think there's. There's a certain time of the year, I think. It used to be the same with rookies. After a certain point in the year, you could play your rookies regardless of your long-term injury list. I feel like there's... I would have to do the research on that, but I think the fact is the Category B rookie means we can't necessarily play with that long. But we'll, we'll, we'll hash that out over the course of the summer. Regardless of how we recruited him, we've picked him up. He's a very raw prospect, but one with a lot of talent nonetheless. Yeah, absolutely. So... He, he did slide because there wasn't much hasn't there hasn't been much exposure I suppose to him um, clubs were, and, and the other thing was he came out pretty early and said that he wanted to be an Eston player and I think that probably scared off a few clubs because on raw talent alone he's he, he's definitely worth a shot but um, because I think we could match after pick forty uh, and we obviously were going to again I think clubs didn't try and play silly buggers with us I think they just went yeah, he's going to Eston anyway so we'll just let him go through because there's no point picking somebody. Only to you know have a have a club match it immediately when there's no real benefit to it because I think at the stage where we would have had to have matched for uh, for for him you know we would have lost pick sixty five or whatever it was and you know really clubs clubs aren't that dumb so um, that that's part part of the reason why he slid all the way through the draft. He's one of his main strengths is obviously his X factor and I, I'll be honest I don't think we've had an X factor player at Essendon for a very long time really I mean. <laughs> Float back to, you know, Joey Dano, Rosario Fantasia. Those blokes had a bit of X Factor. Anthony McDonald, Tipper Woody has also had a bit of X Factor. But not, I don't think we've had a young X Factor player or player that's come, that's just got so much potential. Because, I mean, Tipper was a mature aged player when he came to us. So we haven't really had the Kaziah Pickett style. And I think that Mankara could possibly be that X Factor style player for us, you know, if not next year, then maybe the year after. Yeah, it's a weird one because there was sort of conflicting reports about you know, his height and his position. He was 1.185, then he was 192, then he's 188. I think he's he's a genuine mid-sized 186 centimetre sort of high-leaping, really skill factor, um, skill, sorry, skilled X-factor type forward. And I don't know what his pressure's like, but someone 
that I know in SA explained it like he's a really powerful Luke Bruce, which I thought that's a pretty big rap. Like that's, that's like, um, I don't think that's probably a fair expectation on him, but more that sort of genuine medium size, but like what you said, genuine X factor can sit on your head or crumb from the pocket. I think you're right. We won't see him next year. I, I doubt we'll probably see him in the first 18 months of playing you know, of being on an AFL list. So I think his tank, he didn't finish the 2K time trial, I think, at the AFL Combine, um, which had a lot of clubs scared off. Um, he had to sort of get helped off after tearing a hamstring. Yeah, he didn't play a lot of football this year, which is probably another reason he didn't sort of get picked up. There was not a lot of exposed form, I think. He played, He had an absolute blinder against Collingwood in the VFL. And then as you know, against Collingwood's VFL list as part of the Australian Academy, and then just sort of disappeared for about three and a half months, which never does any draft prospects any good, I think. But I'm really excited to have him. Again, more Indigenous talent. It seems like Tip is really keen to have him on board and to take on a mentorship role. And I think that's one of the reasons Tip has come back is that sort of exciting Indigenous mentorship role. And it's one part I'm really looking forward to next year is, um, you know, we used to be the benchmark for not just Indigenous talent, but pathways and and social activism in the indigenous space look i'm i'm glad that at least in some part with you know even dean rioli getting elected to the board with the um and his connection to the tiwi that we're really starting to focus on things that made us great as a club and i think that's sort of linked to the indigenous community is one of them yeah and i just want to make 100 percent clear the reason he didn't finish the two game time trial is because he went off injured not because he can't run two k's yeah, yeah, I said that. I think I, he tore a hamstring. Just making sure that our listeners are, are, are 100% clear that, um, yeah, he, he tore the hamstring and therefore wasn't able to, um, unfortunately, finish the, the time trial. But it will be an exciting time. Um, it was interesting that you mentioned Dean Rioli because it's sort of a, a lovely segue, I think, into into the appointment of Craig Vozzo. Uh, I just thought would, would be something we could have a quick chat about before, sure. we, before we sort of head back towards the couple of the later moves in the draft that we made where do you see craig in do you, do you think that he's going to be what we need I, I think it's a very safe appointment um i think it's a i think it's we've stolen one from the eagles because i think that they thought he was going to be their ceo in waiting and i think maybe he's just got sick of waiting um <laughs> so i mean I, I think it's it's quite a, a solid appointment and i think it's something that we probably should have just done in the first place <laughs> yeah, I was about to say he's probably safer um, than Andrew Thorburn, um, <laughs> but the way that has played out in the last few months, any sort of selection would have been safer than Andrew Thorburn, it seems. Yeah, I, I, I must admit that when it comes to CEO candidates, I'm I I, I don't profess to know more than I do. Um, the fact that he was at a club like the West Coast Eagles, and the West Coast Eagles have had a down year, no doubt about it, but they are still an absolute powerhouse of an organization the their corporate structure and their corporate power is almost unrivaled in the afl i think really it's collingwood richmond and west coast at this point and from what i can tell west coast were really gutted to lose him which probably tells you what you need to know a guy that's got experience in the football industry unlike the last couple of ceos we've had uh well when i said last couple of ceos i mean you know um xavier campbell who was uh Chief financial officer for a while before coming on board. I really don't know much about CEO, so I won't profess to know more than I do, other than to say he seems like a good appointment. He's a football guy, worked in the football industry, which I think was really important. 
and particularly with the newish board, uh, I just, yeah, I, I think the proof will be in the pudding. Um, and I'll, I will judge him really by how much of the changes floated in our external review are implemented, which is really his power. It, the buck stops with him in that regard. Yeah, absolutely. And I think at the end of the day, as you sort of mentioned, coming from a club like West Coast, who have been very professionally run despite their um, issues in the mid-2000s, um, I think it can only be a positive and I, I look forward to seeing what he can do with us. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah, I suppose the other benefit is he's just, he's not an Essendon person, <laughs> which over the last 10 years is a nice change and probably needed considering all that happened really in August, September. Um, we will just really quickly go to the rest of sort of the recruitment news. We had one pick in the rookie draft and we picked a young man from the Western Districts Football Club in South Australia to pick up Rhett Montgomery. Now, sorry, that, um, cent- Central Districts, not Central Districts, mate. Right? Sorry, Central Districts, my <laughs> Oh, okay. Uh, I've, I've got to admit, my Sandful team knowledge is not up to scratch, but. We picked up Rhett Montgomery. You know, when I heard it, I thought he was some, you know, 18th century British explorer, but uh, he's he's a real person. I thought for a second, did we just redraft Garrett McDonough? Like, did, did we just pick the same guy, stick a moustache on him and change his name um, just to see if we could float one by the AFL? But no, he's a real person. Sort of a, a utility backman, plays tall, small, gave me some Marty Gleeson vibes. And when I say Marty Gleeson, some AFL, some, sorry, some Essendon fans will take that as an insult. I certainly don't mean that as an insult. Um, before he basically dismembered his ankle with that preseason game in Colac, you know, Marty Gleeson was a pretty good player, but yeah, uh, I suppose he's probably more depth than anything. And we'll see how he says, see how he goes. What's your thoughts on it? It's a bit, it's a little bit like the last sort of mature age defender that we took from the Central Districts Football Club, which was a bloke by the name of Paul Thomas. I'm not sure if you remember Paul Thomas playing Oof. for Essendon. He was a he was a sheedy special. Um, oh. Could play, definitely could play, but just just came to the league a little bit too late, I think. Yeah, it'll be good. I think Rhett's probably going to struggle to get a game early. Um, he, he has been, from all, all reports, a pretty reliable figure in the Central District's defence this year. And I can't believe you didn't remember the Central District's name. They, they played 12 They played twelve grand finals in a row at one stage in, in the Sandfall. They won nine premierships in 12 years. They were the powerhouse of the um, early 2000s in the Sandfall. I, I can't believe I'm having to tell you this because I still remember that. Um, and, and I don't really follow the Sandfall at all. But anyway, uh, <laughs> right. he's got... Yeah, well, they, oh, the, for a bit of background knowledge, just just because you didn't ask for is they actually went to they went back to back, missed the flag, won three in a row, missed the flag, won four in a row. It was an impressive time to be a central oh, district. Jesus yeah, they didn't muck around. They didn't muck around in the uh, in that in that decade. The, the central districts, anyway. Um, he ha- he has an eighty percent efficiency by foot, which is pretty bloody handy, especially if he can get that going AFL level coming out of the back line. It does feel a little bit like we've just gone and tried to find ourselves a Jordan Ridley back up in case Jordan Ridley goes down touch wood but yeah I'm not sure where he fits or how he fits at this stage but at 190 centimeters 83 kilos if he can build the tank up maybe he goes in into the middle a little bit maybe uh, yeah it's it's hard to tell these days with these blokes because gone are the days where the forwards and the key position defenders are the 190 to 195 and then you know the Ruckman are 196 to 204 and everything below that's just a midfielder now anyone can be anything so I think 
long term, I reckon he's going to probably not fit into the back line. So therefore, they'd be looking at a different spot for him. Where that is, I'm not sure. But as you said, he just provides good depth. And he was good depth at Sandfall level. So I, I assume that would translate across to good depth at BFL level. Yeah, look, I think when you're picking the rookie draft and you're picking mature age guys, I suppose you're looking for guys that can step in straight away. I I think there's a bit of redundancy with you know Jake Kelly and, and Jordan Ridley and maybe even Jaden Laverde to a certain extent, depending on the players they play on. I, I, I honestly think he's probably more just depth than anything if we have a couple of injuries. Um, we're the second youngest team in the competition, so I don't think picking up another 18-year-old is going to help us. Um, if we had a couple of injuries, we probably needed a guy that could step in and, and play a role pretty quickly without much development. And I think that's just him. And the the benefit of the rookie list is, you know, it's a one-year deal. If he doesn't work out, then we've got the list spot for next year, which was sort of the secret of Garrett McDonough being 26 when we drafted him. Well, we had to sign him for one year, and I think um, this is a similar scenario. So that's all of our draft picks, unless you want to do anything else on Rep Montgomery. Um, we, we have a couple of guys training on over the summer uh, in anticipation, as we said, of Jaden Davey going on the long-term injury list if and when he does. Um, first is Ruben Maguire, I think he's, I'm saying his name right, from WA. He's a, a, a Ruckman, second, uh, sorry, a second forward Ruck, good leaping ability, a bit of Jared Brennan in the highlights and how he sort of scoops the ball up one-handed. And then more importantly, I think, and I think probably more interestingly, more interestingly, sorry, is Will Zibkowski, who a lot of got people would have been really happy if he had been drafted with our second pick in the draft for pick 25. He went completely undrafted, even through the rookie draft. And he's actually agreed to train on in January with us in anticipation of a possible SSP spot. So, yeah. And I think Tom Phillips is the other one that's trained with us with a chance for that rookie spot. So, what are your thoughts on those three guys? Those three guys, you know, Maguire, Subkowski, and, and Tom Phillips. And you know, we saw Nick Martin come from absolutely nowhere last year and, and find a role. Do you reckon we're a chance of? I reckon Zibkowski might be a great shout, but what do you think? Yeah, so I'm not too sure on Maguire. He seems to be a a bloke that was okay at sort of that under 16s level, stepped up to under 18s, and sort of sort of really struggled. Didn't really take that next step. But his height and everything, I think, is 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 a big factor. But if you read his draft profile, you know he managed six goals in 14 games, which is, which you go, well, if he's playing ruck, that's okay. But then you look at the ruck stats; he only averaged 10 hits a game, and that's also not great. So you know, it's sort of a where does he play? And it feels like he hasn't really found that spot. And I'm also, to be honest, I know that Andrew Phillips is not getting any younger, but we do have Nick Bryan and Sam Draper on the list. So do we need another young Ruckman? Yeah, I'm not sure. Do we need another raw rookie Ruckman? I'd be pretty adamant we don't. I don't, I don't see McGuire getting on, on our list. I think we've probably got him over, training him up and saying, look, go back, show us that you've improved and we'll, we'll, we'll come on, we'll come back to you. Later in the piece, so how do, so you call him Sisbowski? So, um, I I understand it to be Zibkowski. Zibkowski. Well, Zibkowski, I reckon is probably going to be the one that I would be interested in in terms of. I think he'd be the next Nick Martin style. He placed top ten in the vertical jump at the draft combine, which was mm. you know an impressive feat. He averaged twenty three touches across the NAB league this year, and he was a he's a big frame, so. 
But a lot of people who thought we were going to take him with our second pick, or a lot of people who were hoping we'd take him with our second pick, and then he just never got taken. And, and there's, there's a million reasons why that happens. Every every single year, uh, no matter who, who what year it is, there's always a bunch of draft names that draft watchers who aren't part of the club scene fall in love with and are just absolutely gobsmacked that these blokes aren't picked up. And then nine times out of ten, we never hear from them again <laughs> unless you become you know, a Nick Martin or a Michael Barlow or, or a mature age genius like Tim Kelly. So, yeah, it's, it, there's got to be a reason why he slipped. Oh, I don't know what that reason is, but in terms of list profile, I think he's probably the one that we take. I, Tom Phillips feels a little bit like if we're going to take Tom Phillips, we may as well have just kept Tom Cutler on the list. Um, yeah. <laughs> they're, they're, they're different players, but... It seems to me that you know, just by by regurgitating a, a player that's already been proven that they can't really crack it at AFL level at a consistent basis, we may as well have just kept the one we've got rather than bringing a new one. Yeah, oh, my that's my view on, on on Tom Phillips. I think he signed on for the Essendon VFL. I think he'll be great value there. I think if I'm Essendon, I'm saying, well, Tom, if you want to be on a senior list, show us you know half a season of absolutely tearing the VFL apart. We might pick you up in the mid-season draft if we need you, but um, we're pretty set on the wings. That's sort of one position. We have plenty of guys that we can run through there. The thing with Zibkowski that I'm really interested in is he seems like the meat and potatoes mid that we never draft but always need two or three of. <laughs> like every year we're looking at guys like Jack Bartel or Jack Graham. Everyone was sort of really interested in getting Jack Graham. Um, but you even look at guys like Tom Atkins at Geelong, these sorts of uh, mids that do all the dirty stuff, do all the hard stuff, tackle, uh, bind defensively, and just do all the stuff around the edges to allow your more offensively gifted midfielders to thrive. And I just, we we never draft those guys and it drives me nuts. But I, I feel like Will might be potentially that sort of player. I think that the knock on him is... You know, what does he do with the ball in hand? Is he a damaging play ball in hand? And probably more importantly is his running power. It seemed like all the knocks on him from guys at Rookie Mix Central and in the greater media was, can this guy get to a point where he can run and not be a liability in defense? Like, unless you're Joe Watson, Sam Mitchell, Josh Kennedy from the Swans level savant footballer, where your ability to read the play is so elite that you just know exactly where you need to be at any given time. You know, unless you're that level of savant from a footballing perspective, you need to be able to just not be, you don't need to be Brad Hill in terms of running power, but you need to be good enough runner at AFL level to just not get torn apart on the spread, which we were routinely last year, or just not get burnt from a stoppage. And I think provided he can get his running power to that, he's willing to tackle, he's willing to do the dirty stuff, his work rate, win clearances, feed the ball out to guys like Merritt and Shield, I think would be a perfect complement to the midfield we've already got. Yeah, the description on his kicking is it's a penetrating kick, which to me means it's not overly accurate, but he's able to thump (laughs) it long when he has to. Yeah, that's probably the the nice way of saying exactly that, isn't it? And that that's fine. There are pl- like we've got guys like Zach Merritt, and apparently Elijah Sartis um, is a good kick in that situation. Dylan Shield when he's got a bit of time. Like we've got enough. Nick Martin's a great kick of the forty. We've got enough offensively minded mids. What we need is a defensive guy, uh, a mid players guy that can you know, sweep the stoppage defensively, can lay tackles, and do all the hard stuff that. Jack Graham and Tom Atkins and those sorts of guys do for the really good teams. And who knows, maybe you can do that. 
Any more thoughts on plays or do you want to move on to the fixture bonds? No, we're going to have a quick chat about the fixture, I think. I think the yeah. round things off nicely. Yeah, so um, the fixture obviously came out last week. Essendon's double-ups were confirmed. They are, for the record, Collingwood, Geelong, GWS, North Melbourne, Port Adelaide, and West Coast. Fox Footy have us as the easiest draw in the competition based on double-ups. You know, not a commercially great fixture in terms of primetime games, but from in terms of uh, you know, ladder position and the ease of the schedule, we haven't come out too. We haven't come out half bad here. No, it's not a great fixture commercially, but I mean, what do people expect? Let's be honest. You know, yeah. we uh, we have struggled this year. We are getting the time slots I think we deserve, and as a result, if you actually look at the sort of look at it, you know, we get maybe one. I think we get one home game on a Saturday night. Um, everything else seems to be on the, on that Sunday or, or in a dicky time spot. Um, and that one home game is is obviously dream time at the G against the Tigers because there are other Saturday night games, um, you know, against Brisbane, against West Coast, and against St Kilda. We are actually the away team. So, mm. yeah, commercially it's not a great draw, but it's sort of the draw, draw I think we deserve as a club. In terms of being easy, I think that's probably, yeah, it's, it's a tough one because you look at the Geelong double up and you go, that's not going to be easy at all. Depends on it depends on whether or not you rate Collingwood. I think they drop a bit, and I mean we should have beaten them at least once last year, so that'll be that'll be interesting. I don't think it's as easy on paper as as it's been portrayed, but I can't see why I think that. Maybe it's just because I have no faith in the club. <laughs> but I I think that when you look at I expect so Port Adelaide for example is one of our double ups. I expect them to be markedly better this year. I think they could push up into that that top seven or six teams. I think West Coast. You know, probably aren't going to make the finals, but they're not going to be as bad as they were this year. They were they had a horrific run with injuries. They've picked up a lot of mids to the draft, which was one of their weak points. And in Geelong, Collingwood were obviously, you know, top four teams last year. So I think, you know, just <laughs> it's easy to say in December, you know, this is the easiest draw. I think, you know, teams like Sydney and Melbourne have absolutely copped it. <laughs> like they've been given absolute shockers. Um, but, you know, that's what happens when you finish top of the ladder, I suppose. But really, the, the reality is you never know how hard a draw is going to be until the games are played. You know, Sydney jumping up as high as they did, Port Adelaide falling out. If you got Port Adelaide twice last year, you would have thought, oh, no, top two team. You know, they didn't make the finals. So you never really know until the games are played and, and how teams rock up out of preseason. If you got St Kilda twice, you probably would have been worried and then Max King gets injured now, you're not so worried. So I think um, we'll see how it plays out. But once we get through preseason, I think we'll have a better idea of, of where that um, sort of sits. Yeah, the, the, inter- the other the interesting thing that I took out of the draw was we've actually got the King's Birthday Eve game now against Carlton. Right, and and there's talk that that may become a permanent fixture in the in the in the in the draw, similar to how now there's the the Anzac Day Eve game between Melbourne and Richmond that they've been looking for another big game to put Essendon and Carlton into, and the King's Birthday Eve game may become that new big game. That, so that would be a Sunday night, wouldn't it? It is too? a Sunday night, but obviously yeah. because it's King's Birthday, formerly Queen's Birthday, the um the next day it's the public holiday, so people will be less inclined to to stay away because the lot the light the late night fixture i mean I, I personally probably still wouldn't go down on a sunday night but i'm not a big fan of attending night games in the first place because i have to travel two hours to get there so <laughs> um yeah uh, unless that's... i'm staying down overnight but yeah i mean it's interesting that we've been given another attempted marquee game to be honest 
I'm a little bit sick of it. <laughs> I, 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 it's nice to be a big club and it's nice to be in these marquee slots, but at the same time, I just feel like at some point our draw is just going to be predictable year to year because they just keep throwing us into these slots. And there was, I mean, thank God they took us out of Good Friday because bloody hell, I could not handle having to carry that one with North every single year. Yeah. Oh, wow. So Carlton got that one and they're very happy about it. Uh, they're altruistically, yeah, it's a great cause. Meanwhile, I think the news this year about <laughs> the massive amount of money they pulled out of the pokies. <laughs> it's well, altruistic one since I suppose for Good Friday. I think Essendon needs to start earning these prioritised slots, to be honest. Like we've got the country game, Dreamtime of the G, Anzac Day, all that stuff is great. But, you know... If we just keep on getting absolutely pantsed in these marquee games, what's the point of having them really? Um, they're not really marquee. Um, no, and, and, and I think that's the problem we've seen with the rest of the fixtures because we're getting these marquee, so-called marquee matchups. We get nothing anywhere else because we're rubbish. Yeah. Whereas, you know, I mean, again, marquee games are great, but I'd probably rather have a Thursday night sp- sporadically here or there than, than having the Sunday night King's birthday eve fixture but all I want Briz is for us to turn up in the first half and not put in an effort like we did against Geelong this year because I was just I was over football at half time against Geelong this year yeah well we picked up Hawthorne I think in week one which was well, they've got a premiership winning list according to their coach they just they're just missing a few bits and pieces <laughs> I feel like that quote like I'm Far be it from me to be the person to defend Sam Mitchell I, I there are a few people in the AFL I detest more than Sam Mitchell, but I think what he said and what he meant is uh, pro- like how it was received and what he meant are probably two very different things. But you know, it's very funny when sound bites like that are taken out of the context. Um, it's like the old Mig Malthouse, um, I can't see a game we lose, everyone, yeah, everyone think- still laughs about that. But I mean, the reality is, as, as the coach of the side, he, he has to say that he can't look at the, he can't look at the fixture, he can't say, Oh, well, I look at the fixture and think we're going to lose here, 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 and here. He has yeah. to say he thinks they can't lose. So yeah, and Sam Mitchell can't say, "Oh yeah, look, I'm looking at my list." You know, by the time we're in a premiership, half of these players aren't going to be here. Like, <laughs> like yeah. Really well, unfortunately, unfortunately for Sam, I think though the Hawthorne fans have brought into that hubris a little bit, and um, yeah, yeah, they're they're in for. I reckon they're in for a very painful time because o- O'Meara and, and Mitchell were a lot better for them than I think they care to admit. Yeah, I, I think what Mitchell meant was like. And this isn't a Hawthorne podcast, so I won't labour this point very much. But I think his point was like, you know, they've hit the draft pretty hard the last few years. The majority of, if they're going to be successful, they've probably picked up a lot of really young, talented kids. It'll be about, the, they're not going to be good straight away, but, you know, they might, it might, it's probably going to take them four or five years to develop. But the guys that are going to develop into the next premiership team are probably probably already on their list. I don't think that's correct. I, I still think they've got at least two more drafts worth of drafting to do. I think we've got to, I, I think we have two drafts worth of drafting to do just yet, but going from bottom four to top four to premiership contention is so difficult. And, and to just go, oh yeah, I think we've got all the pieces. It was a weird thing to say, I think. But that's probably enough about Hawthorne for what's in this podcast. Bonds, thanks for uh, jumping back on and for chatting about what was a, a crazy year um, <laughs> for the Essendon Football Club, finished with uh, a bunch of, of list management. It's been a weird three months since the end of the year, but um, it, it's good to finally have that all wrapped up. 
Yeah, well, I think we say every year as Essendon fans, it, you know, next year can only get better, but surely next year can only get better. <laughs> well, we've been to some dark places and said those things, but that's all right. Well, absolutely. Yeah, so that's probably does us uh, for this podcast. We might have a, we're, we're probably going to have a few things happening over summer. Um, to all the listeners, thanks for listening. Uh, like, subscribe, tell your friends about it. Um, and thanks for listening once again. <laughs>